Good morning, everybody. Um, today, um, I'd like to do a bit of a topical message on kind of on looking back on the old year, looking forward to the new year. I know there's already been a couple, but uh, I wanted to do that today as well. And, um, and so let's pray for the Lord to lead us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We're so grateful to be um, so loved by you. We're so grateful that you have such intense good desires for us. There's not a, a bad intention that you have towards us. As we read at devotions in John 10, that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. And then sometimes, Lord, we just think we know. But Lord, when we, when we realize what you have for us, Lord, all we can say is your will be done. Your, your kingdom come in our lives. And we pray that you would have your way with us this morning as we, as we think of just um, your grace and your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in, um, in our lives as Christians, we begin... Um, even before the, the the Lord comes along and 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 woos us to Himself, and and one of the things that I think we have the hardest trouble understanding in our lives <clears throat> is the grace of God. Um, <clears throat> maybe because having parents like I am, you do this, I'll kill you. <laughs> You know, or, 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 or just having rules that if you do this, you're a good person. If you do that, you're a bad person. And, and, uh, and I think we sort of grow up with this, whether shame culture in some countries or whether this guilt uh, in other countries. We just kind of have this background that, that, um, uh, that we need to allow God to transform our, 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 our minds and our hearts with how he thinks of us. And in my desire, in our desire is uh, at church here, is that we would do church, but we would not just do church and be the church, but that we would do it in the way that he intends to, right? And the church is a means through which the kingdom of God advances in the world until it comes in all its fullness when Jesus comes. So Jesus said, right before he left, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I mean, this is an indestructible investment. This is an indestructible uh, thing that's going forward, the church of Jesus. And it, there's many different... Um, um, ways that it refers to the church of Christ. It is the household of God. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. It is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It is the purchased possession of God and the new multi-ethnic, multicultural humanity. So the church is, it's all ages, it's all races, uh, it's all, um, all, you know, the, the, 
uh, male, female, um, all nationalities, all languages. And Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Plant churches. And in a sense, the, the Santa Ponce Community Church and any church on the island becomes an outpost. It's supposed to be an outpost of heaven. It's supposed to be a, a colony. And, you know, when I lived in Germany, um, I, I, the, the U.S. military, the U.S. government stationed me in a military base in Germany. And when we were in there, we were in American turf. And we needed to represent the country. And, you know, to, to be honest, some of the soldiers, uh, they, went in, they would go into town and, and they get drunk and then they get in fights and it misrepresented the country. It misrepresented the, 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 the military of that country. And, and we are like that. We, when we go out, we're not representing ourselves. We're representing God. All right? It's a base of operations, a colonies of heaven. And, you know, we come together and we, as a church, and we read the Bible together and we think about Jesus and we meditate on it and we pray together and, and we serve our community together as lights of Jesus. And the question, and, and I'm getting to the grace part, you'll see, but uh, what should church look like? What, what, what is the environment of a church? And the environment of the church should be places where people can grow in their knowledge and understanding of God and experience his presence and love. It's got to be a healthy place where people can grow in their knowledge of God. That's what it was in the early church. In the early church, they would come together. And they came together steadfastly to pray and to, and to, and to dedicate themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They wanted, to, they wanted to discover Jesus. And the reality is that there's not many places on earth, even on the island, where you can learn about God. Definitely not in school. And when you find a place, it is tricky if you learn wrong things about God. Perfect places, perfect churches don't exist. But healthy churches do exist. And we need to be, we here, the Santa Ponce Community Church, we need to be the right kind of church. And you can write this down if you like. We need Jesus-loving, gospel-centered, Bible-teaching, community and culture-engaging, grace-filled churches. Christ-loving, gospel-centered, Bible-teaching, community and culture-engaging, grace-filled churches. And we need to ask ourselves questions. Should we be doing something else? Now, not self-examination. I mean, we, we, sorry, we need to do not introspection, but self-examination. Uh, we, we don't need to constantly second-guess everything that we're doing. And there's those two extremes. There's, there are people that are just like, they just go forward and they never self-examine. They just do it and, and never look within that maybe they're doing something wrong. And then there's the other person that's constantly go, going, oh, my God, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And, it's con and, and they never move because they're always 
introspective. And we need a good balance to move forward with what, what church looks like, but also to examine ourselves. What can we do better? Are we doing things, you know, we could pray. Are we doing things, Lord, like you would want them to be done? And, um, and there's a, a pastor that I actually, when I went to Nashville, we got to uh, go to his house and, and have a meal. But he wrote a book on what the gospel is. And last week, we, 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 uh, um, Josh took us through uh, what the gospel is. And, and, and are we able to define it? Are we able to communicate it? And Ray Ortland wrote this. This is about the church. The family of God is where people behave in a new way. I think of it with a simple equation. Listen to this. A church should have gospel, safety, and time. The family of God is where people should find lots of gospel, lots of the good news of Jesus, lots of safety, and lots of time. In other words, people need multiple exposures to the good news of the gospel from one end of the Bible to the other. You know, we have people that have come here and they came as non-Christians. And they didn't become a Christian the first Sunday they were here. They build relationships. They talk to this person. They talk to that person. And through the gospel, through, <clears throat> through the safety, and through the time, they became Christians. And it's the safety of non-accusing sympathy so that they can admit their problems honestly and enough time to rethink their lives on a deep level because people are complex and changing is not easy. Sometimes we can be so pushy with people, you know. It's just like, you have to do it now. Well, God doesn't do that with us. Why should we tell other people to do that? You know, so to give people, the, the problems are complex and, and give them time and safety and the word of God so they're able to come out and communicate it. Listen, in a gentle church like this, no one is put under pressure or singled out for embarrassment. Everyone is free to open up and we all grow together as we look to Jesus. Behaving well, in the household of God sets the tone of gospel plus safety plus time for everyone. This is what sets the church apart in a new kind of community. And it is a grace-filled church. And you know what? It's crazy because sometimes we can be so soft on ourselves and so hard on other people. And you know what? God is a gracious God. Exodus 34, 6 says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. But listen, I mean, here Moses says, I want to see you. And God says, you can't see all of me, but I let the back of me pass. And the back of me passes. And, the, and, the, and what, he's, what the Lord tells him is like, man, I am the Lord gracious, merciful, 
long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. I mean, think about the attitude of God towards us. He, he knows our frame. You know, you ever, you ever make a mistake and you're just like, oh my goodness, and you beat yourself. And, and we act as if God, when he saved us, didn't know who we are and what we're capable of doing. And so we are shocked, but listen, God's not shocked. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we make mistakes. And if you notice in the Bible, the characters of the Bible that we love most are those that were strong in the grace of God. Those that experienced the grace of God. Look at Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he's persecuting Christians. He's putting women and men into prison, even voting against them to be killed. And Jesus shows up and he says, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? And, 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 and Saul says, who are you, Lord? And remember, he's persecuting anybody that follows Jesus. And the words he heard was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, he thought, I'm dead. I am dead meat. And the voice he found was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And go, I have chosen you to be a vessel of my grace. And look, in Galatians, he says, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so notice what he says. I don't put aside the grace of God for anything. Then at one point he says, I forget what is behind and I look to what is ahead. Now he knew exactly who he had been. He knew exactly who he was, but he knew exactly in the grace of God. Think of Peter. Though everybody deny you, I'm the faithful one. I will not deny you. Because I love you. Hey, were you with this Jesus? I have no idea who he is. And he was so grieved, so blown away by what he did, that he went away and wept bitterly. I mean, you, you know what weeping, you, I, I'm sure you've cried, but I mean, there's a difference between a tear, there's a difference between, um, um, uh, you know, just a, 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 a kind of a cry, but he, here, he wept bitterly over his denial. He betrayed his friend. He loved Jesus, but his fear and his selfishness and whatever, it just got in the way, and it just, he, he, he blew it. 
And he was brave. It's not that he wasn't brave, because remember, I mean, we can all be impulsive. He was brave. He took a sword and he cut the guy's ear off to defend Jesus. But when it came down to actually being maybe possibly arrested like Jesus, he capitulated. And he was grieved by it. And Jesus had said to him, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. So I know what's going to happen to you. I know you're going to do it. But don't worry. I have prayed for you that your faith, that your faith will not fail. And I'm convinced that Jesus looked at him. And, and when he denied the Lord, he didn't say, oh, my goodness, you loser. I'm convinced that he didn't say, oh, I told you so. I'm convinced the, the voice, the, the, the look of Jesus was, I've prayed for you. Trust me. Trust me even through your sin. And the woman at the well, my goodness. She's got all these smoke screens. She's got all this mess. And then she goes and she's like, man, I met a man who told me everything about me. And I really believe when, she's, when he says, when she says, I met a man, a prophet who told me everything about me. I really believe it's connected with, and he still talked to me and he still loved me. Because remember, she was at the well at midday because she was an outcast. Everybody went in the morning or the evening, but not in the heat of the sun. And we live in a cruel world. And we have been tricked by people. And we've tricked ourselves into helpless situations. Feeling helpless, guilty, trapped, paralyzed, judged disgusted with ourselves and completely anxious about the present and the future and the church needs to be a place where God's great is tangible because God is a gracious God so when people come through these doors I mean we've all gone through things we've all been betrayed we've betrayed and it's got to be a place where we're growing in our knowledge of Jesus we and well I'm going to get into this but this the place We've been messed up, and we've messed ourselves up, so we need to be in a place where we must experience grace. Now, four things. I think it's four, five things. No, ten things. No, 20 things. <laughs> five things. We must experience grace ourselves. The grace of God is not general for everybody. It's individualistic. It's grace for you, grace for me. We must experience the grace of God ourselves. I remember uh, we, we, we know a guy named Abel in, in L.A., and he was, a, he was a gangster. Oh, Zuli knows him too. And he was in... He, his, the pastor, they talk about Gracefield churches, but the pastor told his wife, the guy's a loser, you got to divorce him. So this guy's a gang member. He's like, I'm a loser, I'm going to kill him. So he went to his buddy, he says, I'm going to go kill the pastor. 
And he says, where are you going? You got no money. So he says to him, okay, you want to kill the pastor? I'll help you. There's a drug deal going on. We intercepted. You take off with the money, kill the pastor and run away. I take the drugs and we part ways. And the guy goes, sounds like a plan. So they go to the, to the exchange, and they get the drugs and the money, and then all of a sudden there's a raid. The police comes and arrests them. Guess who goes to prison? Abel did. And in prison, he got in a fight, and he stabbed the guy, and he ended up in solitary confinement for five years. When he came out of prison, he was ready to go kill the pastor. Still, still angry, still vicious. And he gets out, and he goes to the church to go kill the pastor. And right there and then, the Lord met him. Boom. And he became a Christian. The grace of God. Ask Zuli. Ask Loretta, because we, we, we all know them. We all know him. He he's been here, actually, in the church. He is the sweetest. He is the sweetest guy you could ever imagine. And you, and you talk to him and you just realize, my goodness, this guy has experienced the grace of God for his life. And you know, sometimes we can, be, we can see the grace of God for others, but are you able to see the grace of God for you? Have you experienced grace? Are you aware of the mess that your heart is in and, 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 and how, you know, you, you just have such a strong, um, a strong, in some ways, tendency to go wrong? But yet, that is grace is greater. So, number one, we must experience grace ourselves. We can't give grace to others unless we've experienced it ourselves. Number two, we must preach grace and be gracious with non-Christians. As a church, you know, I remember going to Speaker's Corner in London, and there was a lady, and this was implanted into my, into my brain. Um, it's just like, I can't get this lady out of my mind, but she was dressed in white. She was on a box in Speaker's Corner, and she had a people, people around her, and she says, I will never be like you. You must come up and be with me. And she was wearing white on purpose. In other words, she was very righteous. But the other people were very bad. So she was just being rude and mean to him. And we need to realize that everybody's made in the image of God. Everybody has dignity. And when we go out into the world, we're not bringing the law. We're bringing Jesus. People already experience their own failure. People already experience their own pain. They've suffered from their own sin and they've suffered from other people's <laughs> sin. And what we need to be is... Like Jesus in the sense that when he spoke, they said, listen, look at the, uh, the gracious words with which he speaks. We need to uh, be firm. We need to be clear. But we need to be gracious and loving. I 
I mean, it's crazy. When Peter preached the first sermon after he denied the Lord and the Lord restored him, uh, Peter, uh, um, sorry, let me, uh, Peter preached the message and he says, he said this, you crucified the Lord of glory. And then he says this, repent. So it's pretty straight language. But then he says, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so right there you see the graciousness. He's not just saying, repent because you're wrong. No, no, repent that you might be refreshed. Turn around. It's kind of like if you're, if you're somewhere and you're like, and someone's being stubborn and they don't want to change and they don't want to drink and they're like, they don't want to receive anything. And you're like, please take my water. No, 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 no. And then the person says, you say, please repent. Repent just simply means change your mind. Change your mind. And be refreshed by the water. We must preach grace and be gracious to non-Christians. There is no sin. There's no situation. There's no pit, like Corey Ten Boom said, that is so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And we're able to go to the to the. You know, the harshest words that Jesus spoke was not those that had sinned greatly, were those that are made themselves really nice on the outside, but their hearts were rotten. And then, number three, we must preach grace and teach grace to the Christian. Now you're like, well, that's a um. You know, but you know what? The reality is sometimes the moment we find out that people are Christian, we think they're supposed to be perfect. But the reality is that I'm not so concerned about uh, whenever I meet Christians, I'm not so concerned whether they're perfect. My biggest concern as a pastor is whether they're healthy. I mean, somebody, I, if a baby's born, what I'm concerned about is that that baby is hungry, that that baby is crying. It, it, the, the crying is normal in the baby. You can't say to the baby, grow up. <coughs> what you can do is do the escape route that happened today when, when the little one, Lily, was here and, and, uh, and, and, and then she gra uh, grabbed him out grabbed her out and I opened the door but you can't tell the baby grow up and grow no no the baby's healthy the baby's growing but the baby's immature you can tell a 40 year old stop crying <laughs> quit being a baby but my concern with people usually is not whether people are perfect or not my concern more is like how's your relationship with Jesus are you growing in it are you going deeper with him are you trusting them? Realizing that we need to extend grace not only to the non-Christian, but we need to be gracious to Christians as well. Sometimes I'm just shocked when I hear about something that one Christian said to another, and, I, and I'm just thinking, how in the world do you dare to tell that person that, that they should do in their life? Who are you? I mean, it's, it's, it's harsh. There's a harshness. Number four, we must exemplify grace. Now, oh, let me, let, me, let me say something before, even with the exemplifying grace. I'm not here putting uh, this thing of grace 
And you guys going, oh my goodness, I just wish I was, I wish I was Raph's son or daughter. It must be so wonderful to be in their family. Look, I mean, Raph's just full of the grace of God and his children must be overflowing with the grace. No, I go crazy. I'm preaching this message to myself. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in reactionary mode. You know, I, I've, been, I've been telling, Loretta and I have been having conversations. How can we not react so much? How can we prepare for it? Because I lose the plot. Sometimes Loretta looks at me, and, and the poor thing is quiet, and she looks at me. It's like, you're not going to win him that way. <laughs> so I'm not saying here. I, what I want to do is grow in this. I want to I wanna have a gracious son. I want to be a gracious dad. And we want to grow in this together. But we must exemplify grace. In Luke chapter 4, verse 22, it says, All bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. He went around doing good. He was gracious to people. But we must be not only recipients of grace, but we must be examples of grace. And then finally, we must fight for grace. Listen to this. We must fight for grace against license and legalism. And you're like, well, what does that mean? I'm going to illustrate it in... In human relationships. And you tell me if that works. And I'll tell you whether that works. And, and then we'll just take it to, to the God level. I, I sometimes like doing that. But let's say that Loretta and I, we love each other. And I just say, Loretta, I love you. And she says, I love you too. And I say to Loretta, and that means that I can, because you love me, I can do whatever I want with whomever I want, wherever I want, and however I want. Carlos is going, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, no. But, you know, that's, but that's license. That, that's license. That's saying, okay, I, I believe this person loves me. And so that person loves me unconditionally. And so, therefore, I do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want. Would that be love? I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard the newest Shakira song. All of Latin America has heard it, you know. And uh, the, the football player ended up, I mean, she's 45. He left her for a 22-year-old. She wrote a song about you traded a, a Rolex for a Casio. I mean, it's just like the song is just bananas. The, the song is just bananas. And what was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I get onto this? No, but, the, but the, what I'm trying to say by this is, is like Shakira, when, you know, the way, I guess the way she found out, I mean, how do, how do I know this stuff? You know, it's crazy. But, but no, it's been all over the media. But, but I guess Shakira, she went to her fridge and she began to see that there was stuff there that Piquet would never eat. And she began to realize that when she was on trips, he was having somebody else in there. And she, in her career, she kind of like 
toned it down a bit, and she was devoted 10 years with, and, and, and next thing you know, uh, Shakira was, she just said, you know what? Out, it's over. Why? Because love is not license. Love is mutual. Love, mutual appreciation, mutual commitment, mutual uh, cooperation. So that's license. So with God, it's not just he loves me and I do what I want, with whom I want, whenever I want, with, with whatever. Love is, it's a relationship. You seek to please the person. You seek to draw near, spend time with the person. You love that person in spite of your failures. But it changes us. It's a commitment. Legalism. Let me illustrate this with a human relationship. Oh, my goodness. I, I do this all the time, actually. It's terrible. Um, well, not, not anyway. I do this for them. I do this for you. So, therefore, you owe me. And the list goes on. I did this. I did this. I did this. I did this. So, therefore, you owe me this. And a lot of people have this kind of relationship with God. I go to church. I give. I'm a good person. I'm this and that. So therefore, God, you owe me. And then life becomes frustrating. Because life is not the way we thought it would be. Being as good as we are. So therefore, we're, we're actually asking for a transaction. I do this, therefore you owe me that. But that's not love either. Can you imagine? Loretta, I did this for you. 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 So therefore, you owe me that. Loretta's a straight shooter. She was like, get out of here. <laughs> But that's legalism, is when, when we do in our flesh and in our strength. And our relationship with God is to be neither of those things. It's not to be license. It's not to be legalism. It's to be one of genuine love. We are worse than we will ever imagine. We are more loved than we, are, we will ever imagine. And God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And when we fail, we can come to him. But out of gratefulness, we want to please him. It's a relationship. We fail. And we come to the Lord. It's like, my goodness, Lord, I blew it. And he says to me, the righteous man, he fails seven times. And seven times he gets up. And we get back up. And we grow in our relationship with him. You see, grace is the atmosphere of heaven. When we get to heaven, I mean, we're going to be shocked at the grace that is manifested towards us. And grace should be the atmosphere in our churches. You see, the church is an outpost of heaven. Are we enjoying this? Are we contributing to this? Or are we contributing to judgmentalism 
Hebrews 13, 9 says, Do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines. So don't, don't get into this. I mean, you know, I love prophecy. I love um, Bible prophecy. It's one of my fascinations. But, but, I, but I really, over the years, I've realized that, I'll, that there's real Bible prophecies, but then there's all these speculations that all these people make towards the future from real Bible prophecies. But then there's a fine line between what's biblical and what's imaginary. And sometimes we can get caught up with all these theories. Then I love food. And, and then some people read the Bible and, and, and then they start saying, well, we can't eat this and we can't eat that. And, and, and look, I mean, so there's all these theories. There's the solid Bible teaching. And then there's all these little things on the side. And Hebrews 13, verse 9 says, do not be carried about with various and strange teachings. I mean, sometimes we can be so full of all that stuff and filling ourselves with it. But, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not with foods which, could not, which have not profited those who were occupied by them get caught up in all these rabbit trails. But in reality, what we need to do is allow our hearts, allow our, ourselves, allow the people around us to be strengthened by grace. And so the message for this year is as we look back at the last year, Let's bury it there. Let's leave it behind. Forget what is behind. Let's move to what is ahead. And because we've been, because Jesus died on the cross and, and he made, he says it's finished. It's, it's back there. Just bury it. Let's move forward. And let's move forward growing. Grace for ourselves. Grace for those in the world. Grace for the Christian, exemplifying grace. Is that a good challenge for this year? If, I, if, if we want to have confession time, um, I want to be more gracious in my family. And with those whose phones ring all the time, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> But, you know, I, I would love for just not, uh, to say, oh, I just wish my home would become a place where there most, there's more graciousness. And that in our church, there will be a place where we, we, we don't get run over by people. We, I mean, grace is not allowing ourselves to be trampled over and manipulated and we do whatever they ask us to do. But it is an atmosphere of grace. And I would like for us at the church here that we would cultivate lots of gospel, lots of safety, lots of time to allow God to do a deep, beautiful work 
in people's lives. Should we pray together? And we're going to take communion today. So as, uh, as we pass out the elements, what an amazing moment to be able to take communion, to realize, my goodness, Jesus came not to make us better, but to make us new. Jesus came not for us to have a balance of what we did good and what we did bad. No, no, he came to wipe out the written law that was against us. You know, it's like, it's not that you're, you were guilty and all of a sudden you're half guilty. No, no. He comes and he imputes his righteousness into us. And Jesus said, as often as you take communion, do it in remembrance of me. Realize that Jesus died so that we might experience grace upon grace. Grace.